Hey, it's Kevin here. I'm in Marrakech, Morocco, where COP22 is happening. We're just on the last day of the, the conference uh, and negotiations are still going on. But there's a big group photo that happened outside of the center. And I just came out to talk to some of the groups who are here and find out why they came to COP and how it's been. Here's some of the people I talked to. What's your name? Uh, I'm Kiki. Uh, this is Gab and uh, this is Sophie. And who are you guys representing? We're with the Canadian Youth Delegation. I notice you have some signs with you. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, wh what do they say? They say Trudeau reject Kinder Morgan and Trudeau reject the Kinder Morgan pipeline. And so for those of us who aren't Canadian, can you explain a bit about what the background is? Who's Trudeau and, and what is the Kinder Morgan pipeline? Sure, Sophie, do you want to? Uh, Justin Trudeau is the Prime Minister of Canada. He got elected on a promise to tackle the climate crisis, to keep global warming well below 2 degrees Celsius, and to fully implement the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Now he's trying to expand Canada's very carbon-intensive tar sands through new pipelines to the West Coast, uh, not only violating the rights of Indigenous peoples along the pipeline route, but also further contributing to Canada's very, very high greenhouse gas emissions and contribution to the global climate crisis. Now, didn't Canada, last year, there was, you know, the election, Trudeau came in. Uh, wasn't the Canadian delegation part of the group that pushed for 1.5 degrees to come out of Paris? Yes, they did. Yeah, it's very true that Canada pushed for 1.5. And, and we actually do think that they are supportive of uh, 1.5. What's concerning to us is that they haven't actually come up with any plans whatsoever and like how they're actually planning on meeting that 1.5 through either domestic action or otherwise. So there seems to be this feeling this year that Canada can continue to develop its tar sands and its resources in the way that it wants and then meet those targets through carbon offsetting, which is in direct contradiction to what has been requested and I think the general sentiment of the Paris Agreement, which was to reduce carbon emissions as opposed to just come up with new market structures to like pretend that they don't exist. So basically, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. Absolutely. Yeah. And so what would you like to see happen from the, the Liberal government, the Trudeau government? Yeah, so Kinder Morgan is going to come to Cabinet, or the decision on Kinder Morgan, whether to grant the permits to build it, is going to come to Cabinet in sometime in the next two to three weeks, it's expected. Uh, and what we want them to do is to not grant the permits, so effectively to reject the project on the grounds of climate, uh, on the grounds that it's going to violate inherent and treaty rights, and then also on the grounds that it's going to like push us above not only our reasonable proportion of the carbon budget, but also would push us above our targets, not just like our nationally determined contribution but also the global limit and goal of 1.5. So we want them to reject the project when it comes to cabinet shortly um, on the grounds of climate or whatever they can get. And how do you feel about that, the, the likelihood? I think that what we've heard coming out of the Liberal government suggests to me that they are pretty keen to approve it, that there's been a lot of the rhetoric and the language coming out is about how to move oil to market and how to keep Canada competitive in the global economy. Uh, and I think it's just really old programming. Like I think they're really like missing the boat on new like green infrastructure and renewable infrastructure. Uh, so I think that they're feeling a lot of pressure back home to reject it. I think that it would it could be a really politically popular thing for them to do and would really help to galvanize a lot of the like new voters that they got this time around. They appeal to a lot of people more on the left than they have before, and I think this would really bring that together. But I think there's a big concern that they are still very much uh, in the pocket of 
of industry and feel that those relationships are more important. The big concern is that they'll approve it. But there was an announcement at the very beginning of COP, the first day of COP, by a union of BC Indian chiefs, um, which said that if they approve a project like Kinder Morgan, they should expect a standing rock in Canada too. And I think that that's pretty right on the ball. So have you guys been to a COP before? Is this your first time going? or? So this is my second COP. Uh, Paris was my first, but the, the team has been going for about 10 years. And what is your impression of them generally? It can seem hard sometimes to figure out what's actually going on at these things and if, if they really matter or if it's kind of just a show. Mm -hmm. What's your interpretation of that? I think there's some like strange cognitive dissonance around COP because I think that uh, Climate change is a global problem. I think it's sensible to think that it's going to require a global solution. But I think that the UN is a fundamentally broken system. I don't think that it's built on the grounds of like equity or fairness or justice. And so I think to like to think that from our perspective, where we're we're really in this as a fight for justice, I think to feel like you could get a just outcome from an unjust system is just not realistic. So I think that there's always a feeling of coming into COP as an important space where you have the opportunity to hold the leaders of your government accountable and the global stage with a lot of attention. Um, but the feeling for our team at least is that we don't come here to participate in good faith in the negotiations because we don't believe in them. There's a role to be played there, um, but I definitely question whether or not like this is the space where those things are really going to happen and things like Kyoto only reinforce that idea that like is this actually how real change is made. I work in the grassroots, so my answer is no. So, uh, so how is uh, real change made? I think real change is made from people on the ground who like mobilize in large enough numbers to create a paradigm shift. I mean, the world is not the same today as it was when my parents are growing up, and I don't expect that it's going to be the same you know, in 50 years from now, but I think that it's the grassroots and I mean, I say that, but really it's the people in the world that uh, help to determine exactly how that shift is going to happen and what direction that's going to happen. So I think the change itself is inevitable. I think it's what direction is that going to go. And I think that that direction actually comes from like folks in the grassroots and folks on the ground and folks on the like on the ground floor of community organizing work more so than it does like top down structures that most people don't understand. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So what's your name and uh, where are you from? Okay, my name is Yusuf Kilani. I'm from Lagos, Nigeria. And what are you doing at the COP? Uh, well, I came here as an observer NGO to actually get to participate at the COP and get to get some other information on climate issues. And uh, what's your impression been? Uh, well, it's been great. It's been great. I was in Paris last year and I was here and I'm here now. And um, it's a great improvement and um, so many things to learn. We get to learn every day how the negotiations is going and um, the obstacles and uh, the, needs, uh, the things we need to put in place. Uh, have you seen climate change affect where you, where you live yourself? Yeah, definitely. Definitely we experienced the ocean surge in my place in Lagos. It's close to the, it's close to the ocean. Mm -hmm. You understand, we've experienced that about four or five times. And whenever there's every rainfall, we experience a lot of flooding. And in northern parts of my country as well, there's drought. So at uh, times when it rains, it's uh, a very huge flooding. And how did you personally get involved in climate change? Uh, well, I've um, actually det I'm determined to participate as an advocate of um, climate change awareness, and I'm actually fully into climate education. It gets into make people understand the effect of climate change earlier enough, so that we can put in put in place the right things to actually stop it. Do, are most people in Lagos? Would you say are they very aware of climate change as a problem? 
Um, no, no, no. But in the last two years, it's improving, but we still have we still got a lot of work to do. People need to get informed and get to actually understand it. Our culture is so strong, so some people believe it's an hoax, it's not real, you know, but we need to actually go out there to actually discuss with them. It's growing, but we still have a lot of work to do. So even though the effects are actually present, that they're actually impacting yes. um, the communities, still people don't believe in it? Yes, still there are some. Um, people that are strongly attached to the traditions, people that are not uh, Westernly intoxicated. But for those of us who have actually been there, that uh, we've um, actually, um, you know, we've seen these things and we have analyzed this, we have diagnosed it, and we have seen that it's really an effect. We are informed and we are actually discussing with them. But it's growing, but not fast enough. And what do you think about justice when it comes to climate change? Because of course, you know, your country has contributed so little to the overall problem. It's, uh, you know, countries in the West that have contributed most of the carbon emissions to the atmosphere. Yes. Is, what, what do you think about that issue and, and how, how can the world navigate that issue? Yeah, it's a very sensitive issue, but uh, we need to actually put everything on deck to ensure that climate justice has been carried out. Um, yeah, my country have done little in terms of contribution, but um, the bigger countries need to play a bigger role in trying to curb um, the CO2 emissions and we, they just have to, as bigger nations, they just have to respect it and we just have to do that. Even though as little countries we have to do our own best, but we are, they must, the bigger economies must ensure that they do more, they try, uh, they must start the process of reducing emissions on time. And I think we must, if we respect the environment, uh, because whatever we do to the environment is what the environment will do to us. If we respect the environment, then we should do the needful. I think climate justice is actually needed, and there should be serious and vocal, you know, um, more um, aggressive advocacy on it for the bigger economies to actually take responsibility and do the needful. And yet, despite this, I mean, you know, of course, Donald Trump got elected just uh, a little over a week ago, you know, the country that has put the most carbon uh, emissions into the atmosphere. Mm. And now the position is basically like, it's not happening and we have no responsibility for it. So w what do you think the rest of the world's response to this should be? The, the country that bears the most responsibility, potentially backing away completely from doing anything about it? Uh, yeah, I, I believe no country survives on its own independently just like that. Um, um, the United States rely on so many other economies and so many other countries for, you know, um, for sustaining uh, sustainability and uh, even in business. You know, where it's one thing for you to produce, you have to look for the market. So they need partnership with other nations. I want to believe that Donald Trump, the incoming president of the United States, will definitely um, make a U-turn on his, on his speech and some of the statements in the past. I believe those were just campaign um, issues because um, the day he was announced um, the president-elect, in his message, he was totally different from what we knew Trump you know, before the elections. And I believe on climate change too, I think his advisors and his close allies will make him understand the importance of, um, you know, and the danger in not um, obeying the earlier agreement. And I want to believe that um, he will definitely make a U-turn and will participate because if United States is not carrying out its duties and its agreement, it's going to be a major setback for the climate change advocacy. And if he doesn't make a U-turn, what should the rest of the world's response be, do you think? Uh, well, we just have to continue, to mount, continue mounting the pressure. That's all I know. And every other bigger nation should do the needful. We just continue mounting the pressure. All right. Thank Thanks you so much. much. Okay, you're welcome. I appreciate it. Could you guys just introduce yourself? Uh, kia ora. Uh, I'm Hannah Maihi from Aotearoa, New Zealand. Hi, my name is Melissa Howard. I come from New Zealand. And what are you guys doing here in Morocco? We are connecting up with 
thousands of passionate people who want to fight for climate justice and want to be part of the solution um, to solve, well, respond to climate change um, so that the next generation won't be underwater um, and that they can have food security. Have you guys been to one of these meetings before? No, this no. is the first time for our whole delegation um, and there's been a number of learning curves. I think just understanding the dynamics within the framework has been really, really interesting. Um, what do you mean by that? Um, there's quite a disconnect between what civil society sees and understands and what's happening at negotiations and not having full access but also not having full information and that's, yeah, it's been a barrier for us. New Zealand's an awfully long way away from here. Um, was it worth it coming, do you think? Was it worth the carbon footprint, which is currently eight sitting tons, at eight by tons. the way. Yeah, so we have a lot of trees to plant back home. Yeah, you could definitely argue um, it wasn't, yeah, was it worth it, was it not? But I think when you get a group of passionate people together under a common vision, that's powerful and that can be transformational. So absolutely, it's been worth it. How do you guys feel in general about the future? You're both very young, I mean, climate change is really ramping up. We're starting to see some quite scary things. I think the five, there was just a report that came out a couple of weeks ago that the five hottest years happened within the last five years. So when you look towards the future, are you scared? Are you hopeful? What, what is your emotional outlook? I'm disappointed in our leaders and those that are in positions of influence. They're not doing enough. They're not ambitious enough. And I think it's um, more of an opportunity for young people to stand up, have a really strong vision and be courageous and um, set the bar higher um, so that we can make sure we're not inheriting, I guess, a debt of climate injustice. And to ensure that our Pacific brothers, our African brothers and sisters um, have people in their corner spreading the word about what the front line of climate change looks like. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful in yeah. the relationships that have um, created and, and the bonds that have formed over these two weeks. Um, that gives me hope and courage to um, yeah, keep on trying to solve some of the, or tackle some of the key issues that um, our generation have inherited. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I was, I'm more hopeful than I was before COP. So um, I can see um, everything I think needs to be done. You can see it happening, coming. People are popping up everywhere with, they're really clever, they're really ambitious, so yeah. And yet at the same time, of course, Donald Trump just got elected last week. So There's that didn't- person out of how many on this planet? He does control a, a big country though. I think it's a sign of the times. Um, I think that's really the question we need to be asking is how are these environments um, shaping our leadership, shaping our leaders? They need to be more inclusive, essentially, and I think politics generally needs to be more inclusive and um, help marginalised groups engage. Um, and I think we're both, Hunter and I, have been discussing how we can engage a broader group of people when we get home. And so do you have any plans when you get back home? Like, how are you going to continue your work I'm on climate change? I'm going to hang out with young people. I'm going to empower our youth. I'm going to um, share my experience that I've had here at COP. I'm going to plant trees, pick up rubbish. And, you know, it's, it's all those incremental changes that we can make as individuals. And, and when you um, have that on a large scale, you can't under, underestimate the impact that can have. But I'm going to invest directly into the next generation. That I know is a worthwhile investment. Thanks so much, guys. Thank hey, you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Cheers.